Welcome to a Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206 and that's C-Kidd-206. We have a special guest uh, with us uh, during this off-season episode. Uh, really, really, really enjoy having his insights, especially when it comes to, to film work on, on prospects, on new Seahawks, all that good stuff. We have the homie Sam Gold on the line. Sam, what up, man? Not too much. How are y'all doing? We're good. We're good. We're hanging in there. How, how you holding up uh, during quarantine? I'm doing pretty well. It's been uh, been a couple days are pretty rough, but you know it. When you get, I feel like when you get used to just the uh, the day in day out and find your own happy places, you know, going outside and stuff like that, it, it's manageable. It's, it's at least bearable. Yeah, once you, I'm the same way, man. I found a routine that I like. You know, it's it's good getting a little getting a little habit. Never realized how much of a creature of habit I was until outside was taken away. That changes things for you. Uh, let's 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 jump into uh, the Seahawks draft class, eight man class. Uh, one of those where it feels like almost every pick you know, came from uh, left field. What was your just kind of overall thoughts when you looked at the class before you even dove into the film and anyone just looked at the the eight guys they took? What was your general thought? You know, I feel like they came in on a mission to pick players that had high upside, that played specific roles, and that they're filling in these spots in order to in order to improve the team. And, and, and it, it wasn't as it wasn't as straightforward as here are our top needs, and this is what we're trying to fix. I feel like they came in on a mission in terms of we're going to find some high upside players, and they're going to hope that they'll develop into more star talent. And, and, I, and I feel like as you go through this list, the Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, even like Damian Lewis, I feel like all these guys are fit that fit that projection versus production. And, that, and that's a kind of a big theme that I kind of saw from the draft. Overall, I, I, thought, overall I, th- I thought it was a decent draft. I felt like the hate that it received from certain people in the media uh, giving it, you know, like D's and F grades, I feel like that was unwarranted. Um, but from... If you actually look at these guys on film and you actually figure out what the Seahawks want to get out of them, uh, I, I, I feel like they found some solid players in there. And when, when you say projection versus production, in, the, in terms of production, are you saying what they can do immediately producing as a, as a rookie or a second-year guy or what, or versus like not being as productive in college? I guess, I guess my point is that you see the traits on film, but they haven't – they haven't mastered uh, either the technique behind it, or, or they haven't shown that they can they can consistently produce and use those technique and moves um, even at the college level. So what happens is that, and I'll, and I'll use Daryl Taylor as an example because my video on field goal just came out today. Um, what Daryl Taylor has is he has off the speed and burst, and he can dip and bend around the edge. But the thing is that he didn't master the techniques in terms of hand usage, and and it, it, it also kind of failed to, to learn how to pair and counter off that move. So basically what you can see is you see the athletic trait, you see the potential for this move to become dominant, but the issue kind of, again, you run into is that he's just not there yet. And while that's the case for many rookies, I feel like in this draft class specifically, they pick the lower floor, higher ceiling type players as opposed to the higher floor, lower ceiling type players, if that makes sense. Well, speaking of 
Daryl Taylor, you just brought him up. What was your initial reaction to the Seahawks taking him when they did? You know, at the end, in the middle of the second round, I, I thought that was a fine place to take him. It's for me personally, I gave him a third round grade, and and the reason why I did that was because I see his skill set and I see the upside, but that floor that I mentioned, the the possibility that if he doesn't learn how to pair his moves together, how to pair his hands together, how to plan a rush attack, you know, from start to stop, how, how to go in and say, all right, I'm going to hit them with three speed rushes around the edge and then set up and beat the power move once he starts oversetting to the outside. Um, I felt like if he doesn't master those types of moves, if he doesn't master uh, that kind of stop process, the pick could turn into a bust because he just doesn't capitalize on his upside, and it's more of a talent versus ability and technique type problem. So, but on the on the counterpoint, when you see him do it correctly, it, it's it's first round talent. And to me, there's this disparity between me seeing first round talent on film and then seeing that first round uh, production and that first round consistency in terms of all these factors combined together. And, and, and that's where it kind of came down for me was that anytime I see that consistency, it scares me in terms of when I'm willing to take a player. Um, but to answer the original question, middle of the second is fine. Um, I would have preferred third round, and I know I know a bunch of other people were saying more of like a third or fourth round prospect just because his floor is kind of low in that respect. And watching the video that you posted on Daryl Taylor, you were able to explain the differences from a Leo and the opposite side defensive end and their strengths and weaknesses. What are some of the strengths that Daryl Taylor has and some weaknesses on film that you've noticed? Good question. The strengths and weaknesses that I saw, we'll start with, we'll start with some strengths. What I saw was that he has really good play strength in terms of that he can he can seal the edge and that he can lock out and he can extend. And, and he faced a lot of good offensive tackles in the SEC. So it's not like he faced some D2 squads or D3 squads and, and he dominated. It was He lined up against some of the best offensive linemen out there. And while he didn't win on all the snaps, and a part of the video I talked about is his game against Alabama and how Cedric Wills, who was a first-round pick by the Browns, how Cedric Wills won that match completely from start to finish. And my takeaway was kind of simple with that. He flashed upside in a bunch of his plays in terms of that burst, that cornering ability. His hip flexibility around the edge is incredible. Like, seeing him dip, lower his shoulder, uh, reduce his surface area, and get around, it was awesome to see on film. And it's, it's something that pops out and makes you say, this guy can play. Now, the thing is that he also has some power, which is nice, but the problem is that he, ne- he just doesn't understand how to pair that speed to his power. And that's the one takeaway that I had in terms of his weaknesses was that once he can pair his hands and feet together, once he learns how to use three st- takes, takes three steps up the field and instead of dipping that shoulder to get around and swiping down, that he can cut back inside and use and, gener- and take that speed and torque it right into the chest um, of an offensive lineman that was opening to, to prevent him doing that speed rush. And once he learns and gets better at that, that instinct, that conceptual feel of it, I think he'll instantly turn into a better player. The key is, do the Seahawks have a plan in place in terms of who he's going to learn from? Do they have this in mind when they drafted him that they said, all right, here are your weaknesses, here's our plan to help you fix them? 
or will it be on Daryl Taylor to fix it himself? And and that's just something I just I just don't know. Got it. What player do you think Daryl Taylor's game mirrors, and what do you think about his potential and his ceiling? Good question. Uh, for me, I, I kind of went back and forth on his player comp. Uh, some people have mentioned uh, Brian Arakpo, who Brian Arakpo was a first round pick out of Texas. Um, he went to the Washington Redskins, and then he was he played for the Titans for a number of years. Uh, the reason why I like the Brian Arakpo comparison is that he also had that strong. He also had the ability to create speed to power, and I think Daryl Taylor has that ability. It's more about the technique behind it. Um, so there's so there's a, a Brian Arakpo esque level in terms of that he can turn into in an above average pass rusher that's pretty consistent, but not dominant. Now, the other side, I can see him turning into if 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 he learns and he piece, starts piecing everything everything together, a Junior Gallette-style player. Where mm. Junior Gallette is jumpy off the line of scrimmage. He's got speed. He's got all that power. And Junior Gallette, and I'm still shocked he's not signed for the last three years or two years, but he was one of those players who you instantly watched him jump off the film, and you thought, man, this, this guy, he has a chance to create a sack on any play, and he just has that potential. And, that, and that's what I see for Daryl Taylor. Oh wow, those are some good comps there. I, I like that. That's some that's some real deal. Talk about upside. Yeah, that would be that'd be great. Uh, let's let's talk about the most. I don't. It's controversial. The word I want to use, Chris, with their first round pick. It feels like it. Intriguing. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of adjectives you could apply to their first round selection of linebacker Jordan Brooks. Let's just same thing with like we did with uh, Daryl Taylor. What was your just reaction uh, to Jordan Brooks going to the Seahawks in that first round? You know. Really good question. I think, I think I was shocked to say the least. I I remember coming out and saying, like, just exactly, exactly like last year with uh, L.J. Collier. It's you look down, you see a guy that's consistently projected in the mid second or even at worst third round, and you, and you see him at the end of the first round with the Seahawks taking him. That's it, that was my instant gut reaction. Was great. They they reached again and they took a guy that. No, nobody, nobody in the right mind would take, especially with Patrick Queen still on the board um, at the same position. And now, and that to me, I was kind of angry at first. And so, as I was angry at first, and then I started actually watching his film. And this is not an LJ Collier pick. This isn't a Rashad, a Rashad Penny pick or a Jermaine Betty pick. I like Jordan Brooks a lot better than all three of those guys. Mm. I gave Jordan Brooks an early second round grade, uh, and. Well, taking him at the end of the first, um, with with them not being able to trade down, I was I in the end I'm completely fine with the pick, and I gave it a, a B grade just because uh, you know proposed value versus where I think where I think you should have been, which is really really two. Now, as a player, there's a lot to like, and I think he got a lot of unnecessary hate throughout the entire draft process, and that's because of Texas Tech. And the issue is not it isn't just that Texas Tech is notoriously bad on defense and that they let in you know fifty points a game. And why would you want to take a defensive player on a horrible defense? The issue is that because of their lack of talent, they had to put Jordan Brooks in a certain position, the Mike linebacker spot that he's just not the best fit for, at least in terms of showing all the NFL-style traits that you want. So, for example, and this is something I talked about in my video on him, um, 
we're basically, I, I think everyone's gut reaction is saying that he can't cover, which is the number one criticism I see across the board. I think that's wrong. And it is wrong because on film, throughout his entire 2019 season, he was playing in a role that basically said, we don't want you to cover. We want you to just spy the quarterback. We want you to occasionally pass rush. And we just don't want you having to deal with that because we need that consistency for running downs. And so basically what that tells me is that Texas Tech perfectly or purposely sacrificed his coverage abilities to basically say we need your help on run support because this is also college football and running actually does matter a lot more than in the NFL. Um, So what you kind of had to do, and this is what I did in the video, is that I looked back at his 2018 film, and basically he was in a different role. They also had a uh, their inside linebacker, or seventh round pick, or an undrafted free agent. Um, so back in 2018, he was actually an outside linebacker. Now this role, he was covering more. He was running. He was running up the seams. He was dropping the flats. Is a better use of his skill set, and he did those pretty well. And now, now I'm not going to say that he was perfect or that he doesn't have things to work on because that's just not true. Uh, but to say he can't fully just can't cover at all, um, I think it's 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 misunderstanding the film and basically saying, basically ignoring the fact that he showed that he can, but it was a year before this, and most people didn't go back the year before. Uh, for for reference here to the videos that Sam's referencing, he did two really good film breakdowns, uh, both of them on field goals. I got that right, Sam? Both of them up there on field goals? That's correct. Yep, they're both on field goals. First one on Jordan Brooks and on Daryl Taylor. Just great work, really going into the topics we've we mentioned so far. Especially, I like the part about uh, whether Jordan can cover. Obviously, that's a huge part of the game right now. Um, Bobby Wagner was just on a podcast with Mina Kimes, and they were talking about how how good the opposing offensive coaches are in the NFC West specifically at creating mismatches for linebackers and making the job hard for guys like Bobby. Uh, and we're going to see where the Jordan can handle that, whether that's this year or next year or whenever. Uh, but because he did play uh, different positions in college, I think his outside for the first three years and then moved into the middle his fourth year. If Let's say I give you the job as the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Congratulations on your promotion, Sam Gold. Uh, you have your press conference, whatever. Uh, I give you Jordan Brooks. What do you do with him? Well, first off, I'm going to ask for my pay and benefits up front. <laughs> I'm going to do a horrible job, and, and, and I'm going to get fired within a week. Uh, but, but more importantly, uh, probably, probably by saying something stupid to the media, just like this statement right here. Uh, but anyway, what I would do with Jordan Brooks is that I would allow him to play uh, pretty much the same role as K.J. Wright. My, my goal is that on base bounds, when they're in their 4-3 looks, um, I'm going to put him at Sam linebacker. I'm going to put him across the tight end, and basically I'm going to use him um, to cover in the flats, uh, which he showed he can do. I'm going to show. I'm going to use him in man-to-man coverage uh, occasionally as well against against tight ends and running backs, which again he showed he can run seam routes perfectly fine. Uh, and what and what I'm going to do is I'm going to have him shut down the edge and have have, have him help fill in the gaps because he has that ability to be that downhill thumping linebacker. Now, the thing that we have to worry about is that while I think he does have that potential, um, him dropping into kind of spot zone coverages is, is currently a weakness. So him learning from K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner is going to be so key for his development. It's going to be so key for him to turn into a really good pro that I'm going to first start him as their third linebacker, not even starting overall, 
and give him, you know, probably 200 snaps, 300 snaps throughout the year, and then have that increase over time to make sure that he can handle all the duties and that he actually can be used properly. The other thing I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to run some fire zone blitzes with him, which is basically uh, you blitz him instead of uh, rushing an edge rusher where the edge rusher will drop back into coverage. And the thing is that Daryl Taylor has actually showed that he can he can help a little bit in coverage. And, and I'm not going to say you should do it on every snap, but I'm talking like once a game. Uh, and so what you can do is you can actually blitz Jordan Brooks in his place and let Daryl Taylor, a guy like Daryl Taylor kind of drop back and and take just take one of those underneath zones and and just to mix things up and add just a little bit of a wrinkle to the defense. Again, that's only maybe one time a game, so it, it doesn't happen that often. But it it, it adds a it adds defensive flexibility for sure. I don't know why you sold yourself short, man. That's a decent plan. I mean, if you could just fix the pass rush in general too, you get a raise by like year, by the start of year two, man. As the <laughs> as the DC, that's that's, I mean, that's, my, not, that's that's not. I mean, my plan to fix the pass rush is. It's the, it's the sign clowny, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> here we are. That's also a good plan, too, man. Sell yourself yeah. short there. One, one more thing on, on Jordan Brooks. Uh, based on what you saw when he did have to play Mike Linebacker uh, in college, and it, I asked this because it seems like the college game is even uh, integrating itself more into the program. seems like every year uh, more and more. Do you see that he has the skills to potentially be the successor to a Bobby Wagner, or would you prefer him in more of a weak side role long term? Uh, so it's a good question. Uh, I think he has the potential to play that Mike linebacker role, but I, 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 st- I still think that. And, and the good news with the Seahawks defense is that the two linebacker, the two linebacker spots, once they go down to the four-two-five uh, or their nickel looks, the, the two spots are kind of um, they kind of interchange depending on where the tight end lines up. So if the tight end shifts from the left side to the right side, you kind you kind of have to change roles and positions anyways and so the Seahawks kind of require both both those players to be kind of a little bit versatile in their skill sets so for me I think you can play them more as a a stand linebacker to start uh on those four three looks and then and then I I think he has the potential to take over for someone like KJ Wright and or even even Bobby Wagner and and, and man one of those spots in my opinion I think that this is realistically KJ Wright's last season with the Seahawks um, so I can see it even as as close as next year with it being Bobby and uh, Jordan to to start for I don't know who however long Bobby can play. All right, that'd be definitely be interesting uh, down the road. Uh, enough about the rookies; these kids, we won't see them on the field for years anyway. Uh, with all this quarantine, uh, but let's 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 dig into uh, some of the veterans they added here in free agency. I won't go through all of them, but there are some some guys who are really expected to contribute, like in a big way. You know, right away. Uh, the first move they made before free agency even started was adding Greg Olson. Uh, added him to be the obviously the vet in the room. He's like 57 uh, years old, uh, feels like. But he was he's really productive uh, over the course of his career, even when his quarterbacks were not good, or at least his quarterback was not good uh, most recently in Carolina. What did you think of that move, uh, and how do you think the Seahawks can best use Greg Olson in what will probably be his only year uh, as a Seahawk? Yeah, um, for 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 me, Greg Olson was never a, uh, at least over the last three years, he hasn't really been a good blocker. So for me, I'm going to use him as kind of like a move tight end where I can keep Will Disley um, kind of as your main Y tight end that lines up in line to the formation to help with blocking plays, especially and especially help with the right tackle spot because 
uh, let's be honest, uh, we don't know how uh, Brandon Shell's going to play. So I think I think if you keep Will Disley inside, then you can kind of move uh, Greg Olson into that kind of that big wide receiver slash um, kind of move tight end type role where he can attack underneath uh, underneath underneath spot zones and uh, while you can even have someone like Will Disley run a wheel route or a seam route. Um, and I, I, I think it's a safety blanket. Greg, Greg Olson has good hands. And so he can, he, I'm, I'm sure he can, I'm sure he can find a place uh, in zone coverages and help out that way. Now, Mike and I know you are a huge Washington football fan. Is that, is that correct? I am. How excited, real quickly, how excited were you when Chase Young was taken number two overall? Oh, oh boy, I was more than pumped. Chase Young is, is one of the best prospects I've seen in a while, and there is so much good in terms of uh, just what he offers in terms of just being a, a premier talent uh, that I think they can build upon him, and then they can build upon that skill set for years to come. And and kind of the question comes down to is, uh, from a team perspective, and, th- and this has kind of been my debate over the last out of the last month or two is would it have been better for them to have traded down and gotten a couple of first round picks and filled up more spots or, or is taking a, I'm not going to say a guaranteed uh, premier player, but you know, like a, a good, a really good chance premier player at the position. So it's, I kind of had a moral, a moral debate about that, but in the end I'm very, I'm bored that they have them. Oh, I can hear it. You sound stoked, <laughs> but I do want to talk about another player that was actually I consider a steal for the Seattle Seahawks, and that was Quentin Dunbar, who in late March was traded to the Seahawks for a fifth-round pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. How big of a steal do you think Quentin Dunbar was for the Seahawks at that at corner position, considering the difficulties that Trey Flowers had in the postseason? Yeah, it. I mean that that was a fantastic trade for the Seahawks. And, and the good news is that I get to watch Quinn Dunbar uh, on do my teams. So it's for me, it's 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 a plus plus. So I can continue rooting on the same the same guy. He didn't go to a place like the Cowboys or <laughs> the Rams or something like that or the Forty Niners. Um, but for me, the way I, the way I see it is that he's your instant left cornerback with Shaquille Griffin playing on the opposite side. And the strong debate and the reason why he wanted to be out of uh, the Washington D.C. side. Um, is basically he was kind of promised uh, a a new contract after how well he played last season, but then everybody got fired. So yeah. it was like Jay Gruden says, "All right, we're going to re-sign you after you, if you play well," and then Ron Rivera is saying, "No, we're not going to because we want to test everybody because it's now my new team." And so he got pissy and he got he got mad, and then he basically demanded a trade, and there was a lot of controversy uh, on the DC side. Now where that plays into the Seattle side is that. Uh, it seems like he's actually fine playing out his contract in Seattle, which was, to me, a bit surprising. Uh, but that's all good news, and that's what makes this an even better steal for the Seahawks, is that if he can show that he can fit the team, and he does fit the play style, this, uh, Washington plays a lot of that same cover one, cover three base. Um, as long as he can learn the kick step, and as long as he can uh, play to that team mentality on the, the Seahawks have, I, I think it's a fantastic trade. This was an A-plus a deal for the Seahawks. And you mentioned the contract situation. Did injuries and him not playing a full season have a huge role in the fact that he didn't get the money that he thought he deserved? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it kind of seemed that way. Uh, I mean, he hasn't. It, it seems like he's always dinged up, missing a few games here and there. And 
Uh, I mean, that's and, and if you want that to be your criticism on him, and that's uh, and to be honest, it's pretty fair. Uh, for for me, it's if I can get him for say twelve games a season at that upper level play, then I'm more than happy uh, paying him. You know, almost elite level, just because uh, I know I can I know I can fill in those other four games. If you can put this on a scale rating it one through ten, ten being of course the highest, with the addition of Quentin Dunbar. How much did he improve this Seahawks defense, if at all? Uh, I think it helped a lot. So I'll uh, I'll say that the, the defense probably went from just because of how dire straits I think the pass rush is still, uh, and the inside defensive line thought. Um, man, I I I, th- I think the defense probably went from a four to a five with mm. Quinn Dunbar, and that's maybe, what the- maybe a three to a five. Wow, that's with the uh, corner. But it, I but but I might be more on the pessimistic side just okay. because I I saw I saw all the the busted coverages last year and I saw all the um these running teams the Rams and the 49ers gash them apart on screens and stuff like that and um, hopefully Jordan Brooks and uh, Quinn Dunbar can help. Nice. Okay. Yeah, for me, I, I'm I'm with Sam on this. I really don't know how de- good the defense will be when you don't have a pass rush. Yep. Uh, and guys just looked slow last year too. Like, if for no other reason, if the if Pete Carroll had just said, "Yeah, we drafted Jordan Brooks because we look slow as hell <laughs> in 2019 against <laughs> the Rams and the Niners specifically, we look slow as dirt," I'd be like, you know, you know what, Pete, do you? You know, get faster. I, I would, you know, I would I would fill him on that. One uh, one more free agent uh, move. We had uh, we had Philip Dorsett, uh, receiver on, on the show. Really good episode. Uh, shameless plug to our own show. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, what, what what do you think about adding Philip to that room? Speaking of speed, was a four three guy. What do you think of that of that move for the Seahawks? I think it'll be fun to watch him on deep routes. Uh, my only concern and the reason why I think they still need to add a, a third wide receiver is that outside of those deep go routes, those deep fade routes, and uh, some crossing routes, uh, I just I just don't know in terms of how translatable his skill set is outside of that. Uh, to me. Phil Dorsett was always a wide receiver four, uh, where it's you can throw him in when you're running big packages or uh, big wide receiver packages. You can throw him in, throw him in as kind of a, a change of pace when if DK Metcalf needs a break. Uh, but in terms of in terms of the wide receiver group, like I, I, I like DK a lot. I like Tyler Lockett a lot. Uh, I, I think he's a really good wide receiver four. I just I just want I just want them to add a wide receiver three. Uh, and I was kind of surprised that in a, a draft this deep, they didn't – deep of wide receivers, they didn't take one. But, uh, you know, here we are. Speaking of route running, we're going to go to, I think, everyone's favorite receiver outside of Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf. What do you expect to see progression-wise with D.K. from his rookie season to this upcoming one? And are, give me a few things that he can improve on and things that you think he is great at. Yeah, no, good question. Uh, for me – what DK Metcalf offers is a defined uh, split X receiver for this team. And that's something they've been kind of lacking over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, like when, when they had Doug Baldwin, when they had Tyler Lockett, both those players are fantastic for slot play. They're both fantastic for uh, kind of change up, change up play, but, but, to take, but to face consistent press coverage and to face, uh, to stand on the line of scrimmage and, and have to fight off cornerbacks. Uh, that's what DK Metcalf offers. He is a fantastic fade route runner, um, and he can also run hitches. He can also run a good slant route, and he's very underrated in terms of um, 
what he offers in terms of his footwork and what uh, and what he really offers as a player in those aspects. I mean, honestly, uh, I'll probably do a nice long film breakdown on him uh, this summer just because I think it'd be a fun topic. Uh, but for me, uh, drops were a concern uh, that I had uh, with him coming in and him having nine drops this past season was a little bit bothersome. I think that he's one of those players that the reason why he's getting those drops is because he has the potential to get open and that Russell Wilson trusts him. And while that's kind of a spin on the word drop, to me, to me, it's more, it's more like an opportunity that he's been given just because he has that ability. And that all, I think if he just continues working at the jugs machine, I, I think he can kind of work on that and hopefully fix that over time. Uh, so, in my opinion, it's the ability to win one-on-one. It's the ability to stress a defense in terms of, of the schemes um, and, and basically breaking press coverage. Uh, and also, he, he displayed the ability to, to make some ridiculous catches on the sideline that it offers a playmaking ability to the Seahawks they just didn't have the year before. And that, and that is what I see from Metcalf and why I'm so pumped to see him develop in the following year. I couldn't agree more. I mean... Just watching some film on him, I'm thinking, man, he was really disrespected coming in. I mean, sure, you did mention the drops, and that's a concern that I think a lot of people have. And I think he just is going to improve, get on that jugs machine, and get better. Wow, nine drops, right? You had nine last year for him, Sam? That's a lot. He did. um, There was a couple games that that just did not go his way, like Philadelphia. Uh, Get three drops in the Philly game, and that was – I saw that and I was like, "Oh, that's uh, that, that's not good." I think me and you are on the same page with drops because I remember Mike went to the official stat sheet, and for whatever reason, they didn't have it as drops. They had, I think, a total for five or six total drops for him, and I'm thinking that's wrong because I remember counting almost every single game that he had at least one drop. Not to mention that Eagles game that you brought up. My goodness, he had a tough night, tough day. Excuse me. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You want to talk about areas? Areas for improvement here. Uh, I know we went through extensively in two guys from the from the draft class. Uh, I want to ask you two questions. We're going to go through every guy. Um, but two questions here. First one, give me a guy you're most uh, excited to see uh, contribute as a rookie outside of uh, perhaps Daryl and Jordan. So give me a guy you're most excited to see contribute as a rookie and give me your mo- your, your underrated, your sleeper pick uh, that's going to be a contributor for the Seahawks, whether down the line or whatever. So for me, that answer is actually the same player. Uh, and that's something that I've been banging the table for, and that's something that I've wanted for a long time now. And that, that is the third-round pick, Damian Lewis, the guard out of LSU. And I think there's a chance that that guy starts day one at right guard and just blasts open holes left and right uh, for their running backs. And, you know, like, there's a reason why Damian Lewis felt the third round, and, and, and he's, he's, he still has stuff to work on in terms of his pass sets and um, – He's he's not he's not an ideal athlete in terms of uh, his ability to recover and um, deal with kind of like speed and knifing and he occasionally lost some in terms of tackle exchange stunts and stuff uh, from the defensive line where he lost uh, vision on who you're supposed to pick up and block. Uh, but in terms of operating inside of kind of a wall to wall with center help sometimes and helping a tackle. Uh, I, I, I think he adds instant starting value in that aspect with room to grow. And I, and I think he showed that LSU. 
How much of a do you, so you think he has potential to be like an immediate upgrade on um on DJ Fluker if he do, if if Damian does start in week one? I don't know. I don't know if he's an immediate upgrade to start day one. Uh, in fact, it, it might actually be a slight step down just because DJ has DJ Fluker had experience. He had he understood the scheme. He had uh, kind of like that communication value that you get from consistency with working with certain players. Uh, but what but what I think Damian Lewis has, uh, I think he has some pretty good upside, and I think he can be I think he'd be pretty coachable. Whereas. Um, and this isn't any offense to Fluker, who I who I think played really well at the guard spot for the Seahawks for the last two years. Uh, the, the the way I see it is that uh, Fluker is kind of he, he, I think he's at his level that he's going to be. Uh, whereas I think someone like Damian Lewis has a chance to be potentially better, and that's and that's not a, a remark against Fluker at all. It's more of a uh, we have an incoming rookie who uh, played on a dominant offensive line and a dominant team, and who. Um, has shown that same vicious uh, power breaking ability that Fluker did, and I I I think he can bring that instantly to the Seahawks. Well, the the Seahawks can never have too many good offensive linemen. Right now, they approximately have like thirty seven <laughs> guards. So if they just drafted yeah. one who could who can start, uh, that'll that'll be great. Uh, before we let you go, Sam, any I know you just dropped the Daryl Taylor film study, yeah, the Jordan Brooks film study. Do you have one you're working on now that you want to uh, plug, uh, let people know when it's coming so they can uh, check that out when it drops? Yeah, so this this is unfortunately not going to be Seahawks-related. Uh, it'll be Broncos-related. I'm going to be looking at Jerry Judy on Friday on uh, my YouTube channel. And, um, yeah, you can find me at Samuel Gold NFL or just Samuel Gold on YouTube. And, um, yeah, just keep an eye on for that. Can't wait. I'm, Yo, I'm no. excited. <laughs> this is quick, quick tangent. Yo, Drew Locke was a winner in the draft. Uh, this, this, or what was it? Last month, he got some weapons because they they got Judy and yeah. who did they got him? Someone else I like too. Who did they? Round two. Yes, yes, the kid from Penn State. Man, they got him some some weapons. I have no idea whether Drew Locke is good or not, to be honest, but because I don't watch the Broncos enough. But man, he he has no excuses. They gave him some weapons to to grow with for sure. I can't wait to that to that drops, uh, Sam. I uh, appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, anything from us? Let us let us know. And I guess when the when Seahawks are going to Washington, we got to get you back on the show. Uh, you know, uh, wow. I forget what week that is. Schedule just dropped, but uh, yeah, we got to got to get you back on, man. We appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Of course, and thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no problem. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Sam, man. I love his insights, man. He he does such good work with the film study. You can hear it in his answers too. Like you, he, he using different lingo and getting all specific. He sounds like a coach, which is why I I like love that hypothetical where I make him the defensive coordinator of the Seahawks. I loved having that power too. Just like here, here's a promotion, man. Here you go. I don't know what happened to Ken Norton in that scenario. If you're curious, maybe we made He'll him be his assistant. And we need a linebackers coach. There you uh, go. Yeah, yeah. Boom. There's plenty of room. Yeah, we just made room for. For everybody here, but Chris, the schedule, the NFL the schedule. schedule dropped. It dropped uh, recently here. Uh, I'm not a big schedule guy because um, I just, well, for one, who knows whether these games will actually a happen, happen on the dates that <laughs> were announced, and happen at the cities that they're planned to happen in. There's so many variables. This it's such a fluid situation. Uh, so there's there's that, and the other part. Just is that I feel like when we talk about strength of schedule and how easy a schedule is, everyone reverts back to 
what that team's record from last year and mm-hmm. what they looked like last year, and that's obviously so irresponsible. I forget who it was. Uh, someone put it on Twitter that they use for their strength of schedule metrics. They use like what Vegas's win projection totals are for that team for the upcoming season, which makes a little bit more sense. Either way, it's just still hard to 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 project. Like if you use like for example this year, it would make no sense to use the 2019 Patriots to gauge how hard <laughs> the 2020 Patriots are. Right? They don't have Tom Brady. Like even if I don't think Tom Brady was that good, it's like they don't have him. <laughs> he wasn't that good last year. <laughs> Like, they don't have him anymore, you know, and it's just there's so many factors to consider. Their coaches move on. Like, the Washington game is a lot more different now. Yep. They have a new coach, a new system. Now they have Chase Young. Yeah. Good <laughs> luck. So, yeah. So there's a lot, you know, the Cardinals. They didn't have D-Hop. They came in here and won with Brett Hundley, though. It really doesn't. Doesn't matter, right? That game was hard. <laughs> that game's going to be hard uh, regardless here. But, yeah, the schedule's out. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole schedule. You guys know where to find it. You've seen it. You've argued about it. You've debated it. Uh, Chris, when you saw it, how many wins did you see on the schedule? We're looking at it right now. How many wins do you see? Nine to ten. Again, last year I had them winning, I think I said nine and seven. I was off by two games. I'm sticking with it, and more so the pass rush is still an issue. But, yeah, off the top, when I saw the schedule, I said nine wins, seven losses. I mean, there's some, there's maybe one or two teams. I feel like the Jets would be a team that could randomly just win a game against the Seahawks, and everyone's like, damn, they lost to the Jets because the Seahawks have had that – that problem these past few seasons they've where they had they some just, head scratchers. You just how'd they lose that game and then you go back and watch film, oh, mistakes here, oh, they couldn't they couldn't block to save their lives or things of that nature. But yeah, nine and seven. What about you? I think oh, I want to get to the head scratcher thing there. Because oh, yeah. now I get I do that too. Like I, I make sense of the whole thing <laughs> and then I'm like, you know what? That makes too much sense. There's gonna be <laughs> for real. I'm like, you know what, that all made too much sense. There's gonna be a head scratcher in there. Like in twenty seventeen who was the head scratcher in there? It was the was it the Falcons? It might have been the f- losing to the Falcons. Uh, I think on Monday Night Football because I really think they should have beat them. But at the same time, I remember Cam not playing and Sherm not playing, so maybe that's not it. There was there was one in 2017 though that was a that was a head scratcher. Uh, maybe it was just getting schlacked by the Rams. I think that's what it was. They lost like 42 to seven to the Rams at home, and I was like, "This doesn't make any damn sense." Oh yeah, uh, yeah and then right. in 2018, the head scratcher was losing to Nick Mullins down in the <laughs> Bay. Nick, I have to, I don't even say the team. Four hundred yards. To Nick Mullins. <laughs> no, no, he threw for four hundred in the loss. But remember, mm. they went down there. They gave up a kick return. That's when Seabass was like, "That ain't my job to oh, tackle the dude." Mm-hmm. Richie James, I think, was the returner there. That's that was right. the head scratcher in 2018 and 2019. Did they have a head scratcher last year? Let's take a look. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen had. Oh yeah, the Cardinals losing to the Cardinals in week that sixteen. Was a head scratcher. That didn't make any sense, especially when Kyler Murray went down. Like the Saints game and the Ravens game, while the 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 margin of of loss, if that's the term, the margin of loss was very like head scratching. But ultimately losing to those teams, I actually know the Saints was too because they didn't have Drew Brees. The Cincinnati Bengals almost was. The almost, <laughs> I always account for close wins and some ugly ones, but I usually don't account for like losing to Teddy Bridgewater or losing to Brett Huntley. Like yeah. you see how I'm naming the quarterbacks here. Like that's important. A like, backup. The the Seahawks always have the better quarterback in every matchup. Yeah, Sam Donald might go over 300 that with, game. With the with the exception of in 2018, they didn't have the better. I think they had the better quarterback in that game. Like entering the 2018 game against the Chiefs, I still thought Russ right then that point was better. Uh, Kansas City radio people was killing me, killing me. Um, <laughs> excuse me, radio fans, not the people on radio. Uh, and then last year, I would, I don't know, Russ Lamar. 
uh, toss-up uh, for me. Lamar may be better. I don't know. I'm not sure. But this year, on this schedule, Russ is clearly better than everybody on the schedule. So that right there should be worth 10 wins for me. Like, for real. I legitimately think if you have the literally have the better QB in every game, and honestly, it's not even that close. Like, you look at the – where is it even close? Who's the second-best QB they play? Matt Ryan? I, that was going to be – Dak? That's probably Dak. I would give Matt Ryan a nod over Dak. That's that's fine. I, but I, whatever. Either 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 or, and then the was after that it's like Kirk Cousins. That's it. And then I would even say Kyler Murray. Yeah, uh, I put Carson Wentz over, if but he Car- even makes it to that game. Eagles fans <laughs> was beef. I made one joke about the schedule. I was like, I can't wait to see Jalen Hurts in Week Twelve on Monday Night Football, and it's just like, oh, uh, Seahawks fans haters. I was like, I was just kidding. It's a joke. It's just because Carson Wentz get hurt every year. Unfortunately, like, that's why they took Jalen. <laughs> hey, in case he goes down, we have. Jalen to go. Yeah, man. It's just like, I didn't invent that. Carson, get, he got hurt the Super Bowl year. He got hurt. Um, dang, he got hurt the year after that. Got hurt Nick last Foles season. played in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he got hurt. Uh, yeah, in the playoffs. It's like, dude, you keep getting hurt. They're going to yeah, keep. Yeah, Clowney knocked him out. Yeah, and then way low. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's like, see, Philly fans get sensitive about that. Uh, yeah, they, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I started with 10, and I tried to give him some more, finagle some, and then I was just like, I can't do it. I can't do six, it. 10 and 6, Mike? I got 10 and 6. I can't. Well, we got to see what happens, too, is <laughs> a few more moves. But for the most part, I just can't have that much faith in a team with no pass rush. The hope is the pass rush is a lot better than it was last year. Instead of Rasheem Green It can't be that much worse, to be honest. You're was, right about that. But as you mentioned earlier, someone needs to step up on, uh, that, yeah. on that defensive line. And I don't think their their quarterback slate like looks good. Like the worst quarterback they play is probably is probably going to be Haskins or Donald. Oh yeah, yeah probably. I, I don't mean, think Haskins that good. I don't know about Tua. We'll see. I think Tua is going to be good. I really, I really do. I don't. It's weird. We haven't had a lefty. It feels like in the league start for a long time. I, I can't remember the last time a lefty was. Mike Vick. Was he? <laughs> was, was that, the, was I, it honestly, that far back? I really don't remember. Are uh, we drawing a blank here? <laughs> probably. I mean, I don't keep track of which, which arm left everyone throws with, but I know two is two is left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's not a lot of great. Like there's some good ones on there, but they don't they don't face any many scrubs. Like they I think face. both the New York quarterbacks are scrubs. Actually, they got a good little scrub stretch right there. <laughs> looking at it, we're looking at little, week. What, December's <laughs> December got a good little. Not like it, it starts off scrubby. You got the Giants, Daniel Jones scrub, uh, Sam Donald scrub. Uh, whoever's starting for Washington at that time will be a scrub. <laughs> I'm sure probably. Uh, and then. Jared Goff is like above scrubby. He's uh, mid. He's he's paid like he's elite, but he's really yeah. He's yeah. Mid's a good term for it. And then you got handsome Jimmy G, uh, who's not like scrub scrub, but he's just like limited, like clearly limited. He's out there. Like <laughs> you know, when you miss the throw to win the Super Bowl, I gotta judge you. You know what I'm saying? I gotta judge you harshly. Like you only got to make that throw. That's the throw you got to make. He didn't make the throw to Emmanuel Sanders. And he threw an interception with his eyes freaking closed <laughs> in the Super Bowl. And you're screwed. You're he screwed. must have thought he was MJ at the foul line. Thought he I don't know <laughs> who he thought he was. You don't definitely don't throw the ball with your damn eyes closed. And that's why I look at the uh this we're getting off tangent now. Let's let's wrap it up. But that's why I'm it's so crazy to me that Cam Newton's still a free uh, like out there. Like look at these teams that got some scrubs uh, on there. Like even if you wanted like Cam to back up like a golf or a Jimmy G, or he he could start definitely on Washington. I know Rivera passed that up. Uh, start definitely in New York. 
start definitely in both New York teams. Surprised the Chargers didn't take a stab at him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that that's a weird one too. But I, if they wanted Herbert, whatever. I mean, I don't. I feel it, but who you want, Cam or Herbert? Give me Cam a hundred times, some, please. Some, sometimes a coach just wants to go young I feel and it. groom their guy, and there's potential there or whatever. Um, because the way to win the Super Bowl, not the way to, but you know, if you have a young quarterback on that cheap deal. It'll go, but yeah, no, the Chargers could too. They could use all three of them. Shoot. <laughs> Let them battle it out because honestly, you got you got Herbert under contract. If Cam's better right now, because that team is built to win now. I don't know if people use the term rebuild with the Chargers. That's not what I would do. You look at the receivers they got, the defense, the O line that they've now fixed. It was <laughs> some issues because they didn't have Okung. I think he dealing deal with something serious, but he good now. Uh, got Derwin James. Their secondary is just well. They got uh, who they just signed a free agency. Chris Harris, they signed Chris Harris right, and they have Desmond King, and they got Casey Hayward. Their 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 defense is, cr- and not to mention the Bosa brother, whichever one they have, and then um Melvin. Come on, man, Melvin Gordon. That's a squad. The only problem was Philip Rivers <laughs> throwing ducks. <laughs> For real, that was a problem. I throw Cam right in there and 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 win the division probably. Yes, win the division. That's there you go. That team is built uh to win as long as some guys stay stay healthy. So. Uh, but yeah, they don't play the Chargers. How do we get to the Chargers? Well, we were talking about quarterbacks. Oh yeah, Cam Newton. Okay, Cam Newton. I'm with you up. now. But yeah, I'm 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 at about ten wins. Did you say nine or ten? I said nine seven. Nine and seven at this point. You're picking nine. Okay. Yeah, I'll take the. I'm so. sure it'll change once the roster is finalized and I get to see these guys and camp and whatnot. But right now I'm at nine and seven. I don't imagine any starters. I don't imagine any week one starters for the Seahawks that are not on the team currently. There may be some bench guys that eventually like start whatever because of injuries and waiver claims and a trade or whatever. Week one, though, I don't see anyone starting in week one or maybe week two or week three or whatever that is not currently on the roster. Mm. So that includes like Clowney or Everson Griffin or whoever else is out there. Uh, the, 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 the Saints recently released that guard, who, who whoever. So... Yeah, I, I'm looking at this roster now. I can get 10 out of there. Just almost just solely by having the better coach, um, which they'll have, what, an all-but-one matchup? Yeah. All-but-one. I'm not ready to give Shanahan or McVay uh, the spot or Doug Peterson uh, over Pete. I'm just not ready to do that yet. So, yeah, they're going to have the better coach and the better quarterback. And in, almost in, all in, the in games. all-but-one game. <laughs> and in that one game, they'll still have the better quarterback. So that should be at least worth 10. I give them 10 just off that because Russ is it. great. But those defenses, man, I'm looking at San Francisco, pretty scary. Yeah, but that division opponent's a coin flip, though. Like, they'll probably go 3-3 three and three in the division again just because that's what it is. The problem is the division is tough. And don't forget about Fletcher with the Eagles, man. He lit the Seahawks up last season, even though they won. He was killing. Yeah, no, I just don't. Like I said, that'll be Jalen Hurts' first start. So, you know, <laughs> <I'm just laughs> it will, man. It's going to be Jalen Hurts versus Russell Wilson. Oh, Booger McFarland's going to be all fired up for it. Man. I just, I can see it right now. They're going to be talking about the future versus the uh, versus the present. It's going to be. Early. Carson Wentz goes down. That definitely means that Jalen Hurts is going to get in the game. Oh, yeah. No, no, Booger. no that's going to be Jalen's first start. Oh, yeah. You know, Booger does always say the obvious. <laughs> he, he, Took you a second to catch on. No, no. I was, I, I'm was. i with you. Oh, no. All my friends hate Booger. Uh, Booger and Collinsworth are always a very group chat I'm in. Those dudes just get lit up. And I actually like Collinsworth. But. I, yeah, he's, he's solid. Yeah. he Booger, though. Yeah. It's it's real obvious. <laughs> I mean, he's, what was that? Dang, we're getting off topic. Real quick. Remember the, uh, in the Bills game? He was like, they should. Uh, it's third and. 
third and something, they should. He said something really. He said it, something, it was wrong. Oh, man. You know, we're going to mess up the joke. Can't even care. Right? He said they should go for it or something like that. Or he said they should punt on third down. Or something. It was just. It was it, bad. It, I, it, I, I understand where you're going. I just don't remember what he said. Oh, I wish you could. Oh, somebody got somebody else send it to us after this. Anyway, uh, we got anything else? We want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. Shout out Sam Gold for joining us. We appreciate it. Be sure to rate, review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Oh, my gosh. Every time, or usually I always say Apple Music. <laughs> Bro, this is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart. We're everywhere. Mike, anything you want to add? Uh, no, oh, that's what it was. Booger said they should spike the ball. <laughs> on third. Oh. On third down. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, not not good. Not good. But, no, I don't have anything else to add. I'm verified on everything, so. They know where to they know where to follow me. We're all good. Alright, we'll catch y'all later. We out. Oh, you make my come down. Always tripping when you come around. I'm have to cut you out. Like right now. You see, I don't have to drive me if you say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some me. Try the marijuana. I was never you good. The vibe was straight. Shows you a couple of things and they finished time to your bag and I tell all your lip, yeah, you're